Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Ikert. My guest today is Koki Kweeman. He is from Denker Capital. He has been in the business for more than 30 years and he currently manages the Denker Global Financial Fund and its RAND-denominated feeder fund. Koki has received the prestigious UK-based Investment Week's Fund Manager of the Year Award four times in the financials category and is widely seen as the the best, in quotation marks, uh, financial analyst in the country. Koki, thank you so much for joining me. We live in interesting times. We see a tech sector that is absolutely exploded and other sectors like the financial sector, not only in South Africa, but around the world under real pressure. How do you see the, the current market environment? Yeah, you're totally right. It was a phenomenon that was starting already before COVID. And the underlying driver of this market shift was low interest rates. So low interest rates drove investors towards what we call growth stocks, because in the end, when you calculate the value of an investment that you're going to make into a company, you're effectively doing two things. You are forecasting the future earnings or future dividend, depending on but future earnings or dividend of that company into, let's say, the next 10, 15, 20 years. And then you are discounting that the future earnings back to today's present value. And then you calculate how much upside is there on that discounted value to today's share price. Okay, that's Investments 101. Guys who've listened to that can actually now go and write the exam. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens when interest rates go down? The discount rate at which you bring back, you discount those forward earnings is lower So the market places a higher value on future earnings than it would in a high interest rate environment. And so you've had two things happen the past few years. Low interest rates has meant people have been buying shares that have strong growth potential. But secondly, there has been an ongoing shift towards technology everywhere. And so this shift has obviously helped technology shares to post stronger growth, and especially in a global environment, it's much easier to transcend borders and sell your product in other countries than it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. At the same time, your financial shares have borne the brunt of that because lower interest rates are bad for financial companies. We can talk about that later. Obviously, all the the good banks, good insurers have been fighting that, cutting costs. And in fact, most of the banks we talk to now, if you talk to them, the main thing is digitalization. So banks as well have also gone on the bandwagon to automate processes, both what we call the back office, head office, but also front office, your sales and servicing of clients. And that's one thing that COVID and lockdown has accelerated. The banks that were ahead of the curve in so-called digitalization strategies, serving their clients via uh, web-based or phone-based applications, have seen tremendous increase in the volumes of that away from branches. And so just as a look ahead for that, I think you're going to see the next few years generally that bank branches are going to be cut 
and you're going to see more, much more online banking. But back yeah. to the original question. So you saw two things happening, growth stocks in the technology sector being pushed up because interest rates were low and you know, stocks that, that were seen to not be negatively or be negatively affected by that wave were sold. And then the third thing took over. Then you see the momentum players come in and also the passive investing because the growth stocks became bigger and bigger in the index and money that goes into the index perpetuates that cycle and pushes those shares yeah. higher and higher. And I think we're very close to where that cycle is going to turn. I'm looking at the MSCI World Financials Index. Since the beginning of the year, down 17%. The MSCI World Index gained just over 5% over the same period. And it shows the significant pressure the international financial sector is under. But looking at the technology sector, since the beginning of the year, the MSCI US sector or index up 31%. What does that say? Is it tech stocks are overvalued? We've seen last week a significant sell-off in some of the tech stocks. Or is a financial just totally undervalued? <laughs> now remember, Rake, I'm uh, I'm a financial specialist. Specialist, so I'm biased. <laughs> but look, I think the question you're right on both sides. So we think, and obviously do a lot of research based on this. But but all the indicators show that your tech stocks are ridiculous, grotesque, whatever. They are very overvalued. I mean, something like like Tesla is on a peak exceeding 200 times. Um, and it's just driven by pure momentum plays. I mean, something stupid happened as well. They split their shares and the share price goes up 8%. It's a lot of, we saw the same in the dot-com bubble when a lot of day traders came in and they're driving this type of behavior. Secondly, on the other side, the financial shares have been pushed down because they're unwanted. And so the momentum investors are not investing in them or have not been investing in them. And in fact, the discount in the valuations between the MSCI world and the S&P, of which the tech sector does make a big portion or the biggest portion. So the discount between the MSCI world and the financial index is now the largest ever. It's a 62% discount based on valuation. So the elastic has stretched. And so the question more is what makes that turn? And it, it looks as if we saw the turn starting. Normally, there are two things. One, valuations don't matter anymore. So, but they are. But when it does turn, then suddenly people see. But you know, I've been buying shares that are ridiculously valued. There are no buyers when the sellers come in. But it's a bit like a Ponzi scheme where money comes in, and finally, when the last money has come in and no more money comes in, and the guys who invested early start selling, then the whole thing collapses. And 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 we think that the tech sector could see a correction of 20, 30 percent quite easily in a week or two, in the space of a week or two, not in the next two weeks. I don't know when it will happen, but the correction will happen. That is for sure. Your history of the past 100 years shows that when a segment has become this expensive, yeah, it, it just falls back. And what we are seeing now at the moment is most of that money is going into the financial sector. And uh, in fact, on Thursday evening, when the tech sector was very strong, on Friday morning, we saw the uh, European banks up, actually, whereas the tech sector was down. Yeah, interesting indeed. Uh, looking at the indices, the financial sector has really not performed well. But you say there has been some inflows into the sector and 
some recovery over the past few months, at least since we've seen the, the crash in, in March. But how do you now look at this market? You know, financial stocks have are providing a lot of value at the moment. But value does not put butter on your bread. You need to wait for it to materialize. (laughs) So how do you think an investor should look at the option of investing in financials? And while you look at a a performance this year of being down 17%. Yeah, maybe just to step back for a second on that, bear in mind that that down move that you're measuring now over eight months or so can be broken down into two periods. The price of financials, as with the rest of the market, fell significantly up to the 23rd of March, and financials sold down more. And that makes sense. When you do get a recession as sharp as this one was, and I'm saying was because I think the world is coming out of the recession, but when you get a downturn as sharp as this recession, there are two risks to banks and the financial sector, insurers as well. The one is just a loss of business and worse, significant bad debts as clients default in their payments. And the second one is during recessions, your central banks cut interest rates, and so you get significant margin pressure. As you go into a recession, you're not quite sure how bad it's going to be. So the wise thing to do for investors is just to sell out of that sector or reduce your exposure to that sector until you get certainty. On the 23rd of March, Jerome Powell, the the Fed chairman, gave his speech basically saying they're going to stand behind the economy and make sure that we have a recovery. And since then, they followed up that up quite a few times saying they'll do everything they can to get the unemployment rate down in the U.S. again and the U.S. economy growing. And since then, financials have recovered. And the recovery has actually been in line with the other indices. It's just the initial fall in those first three months of the year was, was, was actually significantly more than anything else. So if you look forward now, as I said, the discount of financials to the rest of the index is, is just significant, but more important, financial sector now, and by the way, the other cyclicals will follow the same, your industrials, your manufacturing companies will follow the same pattern, that we see this in every recession. If you go back the past 100 years, you just can study recessions, and and obviously we focus on the financial sector, but your bad debts peak just after the recession troughs. And that makes sense because that's when all the bad debt comes through. But as the economy recovers, it starts falling off. And you'll recall in, in the results that we've seen over the past few weeks, every financial company that's been reporting has been reporting earnings down 90, 70, 80%, significant yeah. amounts. But largely those falls in earnings have been due to provision for bad debt charges. Now, remember, those are provisions for bad debts that are to come. If those provisions are sufficient, then that means they're going to be once off and next year, those provisions don't recur. And then next year, you're going to be having interviews with management and they're going to report earnings have jumped by 50, 60%. And so I think for investors now, you want to invest in those sectors that have been the hardest hit and you want to invest in the companies that have come through strong. So you don't want to bank on turnarounds. In South Africa, for instance, your first run is a brilliant company, well-managed, very good senior team, good track record of shareholder value growth. And so next year, they're going to report very strong earnings. So I think for investors now, you need a bit of patience because there is still uncertainty. 
in the next three months about the strength of recovery once the aid programs are discontinued. As you know, especially in the US and the UK, you've had aid programs, those run out. So then we're really going to see October, November, whether the economies can stand on their own legs. The banks tell us all our interviews that they will be able to do that. So we're going to see strong, a good recovery in earnings. And then specifically, the financial sector will start paying dividends again. A lot of them will be on dividend yields of 6%. So I think for investors with patience of a year, I think certainly your financials, most of your cyclicals in terms of industrial companies, even though your hotel group, even airlines are a bit more risky, but will outperform technology shares, I think, on a 12-month basis. Yes, it's a very interesting point you make because we are seeing significant provisions for bad debts and other things within the banks and the insurers, and uh, that has slaughtered their profits uh, this year. And if those uh, provisions are not there next year, it will actually reverse the situation. Koki, I'm looking at the the fund fact sheets of your global financial fund. It's a dollar-denominated fund as well as the local feeder fund of that fund. And and one thing I immediately see is that your TER, your total expense ratio for your local fund is uh, 2.3%, but for the international fund, it's 1.4%, almost half. Why is there a difference in the costs for these two funds, if they are broadly similar? Yeah, there are basically three reasons. The one is the TER should be coming down in that in terms of the management company, we've been very concerned about the high charge and we've been reducing the charge that we charge. So, in fact, in Denko, we're going to almost break that down to zero so that the charge effectively is just the charge that investors pay for the fund that is registered in Ireland. But there obviously are other costs as well. So bear in mind, investors in any local fund, what we call a feeder fund, they put money in rands. Essentially, the management company then takes those rands into dollars. And obviously, that costs the management company as well. So the three factors that make it more expensive is one, it's historical. So that is coming down. And it's unfortunately, TR is reported on a three-year moving average. So every every month now, you should see that coming down. Secondly, there are costs involved in moving the money offshore. But over time, the local charge will always be higher than the international charge, simply for the convenience of being able to put in and take out rads without having to go to the bank and do it yourself. The fund size of the feeder fund, 121 million rand, and the um, fund size for the international fund, $68 million. But from South Africa, where do you see people invest? In the local feeder fund, or do they go into dollars into the international version? The easiest, it's a bit of admin for the individual, but, but it's much better for individuals to invest directly offshore. A few years ago, that wasn't possible. That is now possible. So you can actually instruct APSA or First National Bank, wherever your bank is, to directly transfer your 1 million rand per person or your 10 million rand for which you need approval into Citigroup, in our case at Citigroup, who are the bankers for the offshore fund. So we've been advising clients where they can to rather put money directly into the Dublin funds. And and I think the same goes for most management companies. So that's why the local fund should always be fairly small. Your more sophisticated client who has got a bit more time will take his money directly offshore and invest directly in Dublin. And that also has the advantage 
that the money is offshore. It is also legally offshore, which is obviously very important. But should you benefit as well from the fall in the RAND, but in terms of tax, it is also much more beneficial to have the money offshore because you're not paying money on the fall in the RAND or capital gains tax on the fall in the RAND. That was Koki Kweman. He is a portfolio manager at Denker Capital.